Praise God. Sorry about the aesthetic, but let's uh, let's pray to God. Father, Almighty Creator and Savior, fill us with your love, your truth, and your spirit. Guide our worship so that it may be pleasing to you. Use the sermon to speak to our hearts today. Amen. So it's been about a month since I've been uh, back up here with you guys, and yeah, it, it's amazing how things work out into play and how funny things are. Um, let me try to move a little forward away from the micro fast. Okay, we'll try that out. And the first time I came here, I was getting ready for Evie's first birthday party and trying to make sure that all that was said. And that was just a really chaotic week and trying to settle everything. And, of course, like the day after the party is when uh, the elders asked me to speak. And it was just funny, but it was a blessing. And um, this time around, they asked me um, to speak today. But something else had happened unexpectedly. Um, and I've heard a lot of you guys uh, already praying for me um, about this, but if you didn't know, I was actually in the hospital this uh, past week. Um, so right after Father's Day, um, I remember going out with my family and then got to meet up with uh, um, more family and friends later on in the day. And afterwards, I just started not feeling well. My stomach was was just starting to have pain, and then I was getting uh, fever, and it it was just bad. I was in the fetal position that whole night, and I was hoping that it was going to pass. I tried doing Tylenol and and um, trying to feel better, but it didn't carry on. Um, I mean, well, the fever and the pain carried on, but not me feeling better. And, um, yeah, it was just in pain the whole week and trying to figure out what's going on and as I was doing that uh, I was just thinking about it and trying to pray and asking God to heal me and after so many days of trying to just let it pass and thinking it was food poisoning or something like that and it's just a coincidental fever I I knew I had to go to the hospital and then um, while I was there they told me that my large intestine had inflamed and that was causing the, the pain and the fevers and um, everything and so I was just lifeless really for like a whole week I couldn't concentrate I couldn't do any work I couldn't um, even enjoy my family I, I was doing nothing and um, yeah that, that was just a time to really just ponder and kind of just sit in the Lord and wondering like what's important in life and um just seeking his will and guidance for me and yeah it it led me out to what I want to talk about today and um, I just wanted to say thank you again for those of you who have approached me or um, who've just prayed for me um, and yeah it's really a blessing to be here today literally (laughs) so um, I'm I'm still feeling uh, a bit of the pain and the inflammation but it's okay. God's still going to work through me. God is so good. I am so happy, and um, I'm in your presence. So I, I am full, full of love. So thank you. And one thing that I was reminded about 
was when last time I was here. I have to make a correction. I had a few people talk to me about it. And I said, I was the worship guy's husband. I am the worship girl's husband. I am Gina's husband, not Joey. I'm sorry, Joey. And I wanted to to just correct that in case there was any bit of confusion about that. But yeah, I do love you, Joey, but I love Gina more. (laughs) So I spoke to you last time about being intentional and then about how we can be challenging ourselves in our faith, how we can take the first steps really to move forward. and Or even if we feel like we're at a good place in our faith, how can we continue moving forward? Because we don't want to stay stagnant. We don't want to have a faith that is content. We want one that is uh, ongoing, that is on fire, that is really overflowing with God's love. And so I asked of, asked of you a few things of uh, how you can challenge yourself. Um, have you spoken to someone in this congregation that you don't really know well? Have you gone to them to exchange more than a few words of just a, hi, hello, good morning, glad you're here? Have you spoken to one person now that you don't know about who Jesus is? Have you been intentional about your time in the Word of actually getting... Um, your substance to eat so that way you can now have the energy to give if yes great if not it's okay but let's start now okay let's not let time pass let's not continue moving forward where we are just staying in the same place god's put us on this earth for a reason to impact other people to share love and let's not hinder that by staying stagnant. Let's move forward. Let's challenge ourselves. And let me share with you real fast one person that I met with um, recently. So um, another thing about myself is that I love working on cars. And I am always underneath the hood, underneath the car, just really tearing things out and um, trying to put things back together. And um, I was working on the car, and there was someone in my neighborhood who was just walking by, and he saw me, and then like he peeked underneath and said, Hey, do you have a second? And so he started talking to me. He has a transmission issue on his car, and he wanted to know if I worked on um, his car and if I could diagnose it. And, you know, it just kept going from there. And it was a, it was a neat conversation because it went from something so simple as to, something's wrong with my car. I don't know how to fix it. And something so ordinary like that. And then it just kind of talked into like um, well this is someone I've never met before in my neighborhood so trying to understand like uh, how long have you lived here um, to different circles of people that we might um, have interacted with different high schools colleges and then um, passions in life and then um, I was able to share Jesus and it just came from the fact that um, I was living, or I was there at my mom's house, but my dad had passed away, and uh, he had passed away 20 years now, as of last Sunday. And uh, I got to share about my pain in that time, and trying to figure out 
what does it mean to be growing up without a dad now? And what does it mean that God took my dad? And trying to struggle with that. And then um, now wanting to turn that suffering that I had gone through to now be able to reach other people, to share compassion, empathy, love in their times of suffering and to be able to do that within ministry and to show that really Jesus has brought my dad early for the reason that I can now speak to other people because I have experienced this heartache, this pain, this suffering. And it's okay because my father, he was a believer and I have that hope. And my uh, heavenly father, you know, he loves me and he is still caring for me for uh, my utmost and he's putting everything in my life for the better. And I have that hope and that trust and um, it was a really, really neat conversation, and it started to open up. And now, uh, the stranger that I met, we are going to start like talking a little bit more. We exchange numbers, and hopefully, I can really like lead him to a relationship with Jesus. And it all started because his car broke down. <laughs> so, um, I want to I want to lead with you guys to take the ordinary. And something just so earthly, and let's turn it into something deep, impactful, and everlasting. So let's turn today to John chapter 4, 1 through 42. This is in the New Testament, towards the back of the book, and it's in the first four Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then turn to chapter 3. It'll be starting at verse 1 until 42. Um, If you're able to, uh, please stand uh, for the reading of the word. Verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away from the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman, therefore, said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and Jacob himself and the sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of this water that I shall give him 
shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and you people say in Jerusalem, say that Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he had been speaking to a woman, yet no one said, What do you, th- what do you seek or why do you speak to her? So the woman left her water and went to the city and said to the man, Come and see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? Then went out of the city and were coming to him. We'll stop there. And amen. Have a seat. So at this time, um, it said that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. John the Baptist, or as some people call him, the baptizer, because they don't want to associate him being like a Baptist. So if you hear baptizer, that's just what it means. So John the baptizer, um, his ministry had already grown, and he had been telling people and making the way for Jesus. So he continued on in doing that, and as he gained that popularity, um, his, uh, Jesus' disciples have now carried on into baptizing people in Jesus' name. And they've done so more and more now to the point that they've baptized more than John has. And now it's been a highlight for Jesus' ministry. And uh, there's a focus on John. Um, Focus on John uh, from the Pharisees. So it was calling the attention of the Pharisees that Jesus might be someone to be worried about as well. So as a precaution, Jesus is now learning and hearing about the Pharisees knowing about him. That's a little confusing, right? So Jesus knows about them knowing about him. So then he goes through Samaria um, back to Galilee. So this is a story that I know that you've heard plenty of times. But I wanted to share it with you because stories are important. Stories are easy and stories bring excitement. So 
this woman at the well or the Samaritan woman or this travel through Samaria, it's important because it's going to be a way for you guys now to be able to share Jesus in ways that you've been accustomed with and that you can also still dive deeply into. So Samaria, Samaria right before um, we get into this, there is this area called Judea and then Samaria and then Galilee up here. And on this side is uh, the River Jordan. If you're here in Judea, you're trying to travel to Galilee. The fastest way is through Samaria, but that means you have to go through Samaria. And the significance behind that is there were the 12 tribes of Judah. So they were one united kingdom, and um, long story short, the, there's a lot of struggle with the tribes, and they're trying to follow Jesus. Sorry, they're trying to follow God, and um, there was division in that. And a lot of those tribes were not wanting to follow God's way anymore. And so there was a departure between the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom. The southern was Judea, northern was Samaria. And then the northern kingdom, they were taken in from uh, Assyrian captivity. So they were taken over by these people, and now there was intermingled marriages going on, and intermingled culture and religion, and everything pulling them away from what it meant to be people of God and everything that it meant to be believers of Him. And that division, it was just so strong and um, let me read this from First um, Kings. Because they, have, because they have forsaken me and not walked in my ways. <clears throat> I'm sorry. So, with the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom really at war, there's just that tension. So, it was the, now, the racial, the cultural, and really the theological differences that were holding them back together. And no one wanted to associate with these people, these Samaritans, if you were from Judea. It was just much better to go all the way around and not deal with um, with the tension of trying to meet with them, trying to even intermingle with them. And these people from Samaria, they also believed in God in a way if they continued, but they only believed superficially where it was the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. So they didn't have any of the First Kings, uh, First Samuel, and uh, Chronicles. So they didn't believe it in David's line and they didn't know that story. And then they were also trying to follow in uh, the way of Alexander the Great and Alexander the Great, he teamed up with Samaria, and he's trying to take over the Jewish um, people. But the Jews had attacked and destroyed Shechem, which is that area where we are looking at right now, and burnt down 
the temple worship where where the Syrians were saying that their God is. So you can come and see where the animosity is. So Jesus was led into that area, into Samaria, into that direction. Jesus went to the well because he was tired. If you can imagine, there's a well here, just with a little wall perimeter, and it's a hundred feet deep. That's how you collect your water. He sat there right at the brim, and a woman came up to him and said, "Oh, <clears throat> a woman came up to him trying to get water, and Jesus asked her for a drink." But the importance was at this time it was the sixth hour. And no one came to get water at the sixth hour. What does the sixth hour mean? That means it was noon. When you were to collect water, it was either right at the very morning or right at dusk because you didn't want to be in the extreme heat. So this woman, she was trying to go at the worst time. Why would you go at the worst time? Because it was the woman's responsibility at the time to collect the water. So everyone who would go get water would be there at the same time. If you didn't want to be around them, you would go at that hour. And this woman, she was now trying to figure out her place and trying to live life outside of the rest of this uh, group. Context is important. And if we look to a chapter beforehand, we see... Nicodemus. He is a teacher, a ruler of the law, and we know him as, as Nick at night. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, Nick at night. Nicodemus comes at night, and he is coming to try to talk to Jesus about who he is and what life is. And as he's inquiring about life, he does so in the secrecy of nighttime where he won't be seen. And it's a stark contrast made on purpose by John to show that this woman is coming now in the light and trying to talk to Jesus. Verses 7 to 15 talks about living water. And then 16 to 26 talks about this woman and uh, her life and what true worship really is. Johannine style is usually where bringing questions forth will ultimately take an earthly reality into a heavenly reality. So it takes the wells and her husbands to talk into much more life. Jesus offers her a question and challenges her. He asks her in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water is referred to any water that is in a running stream, river, or spring. It's moving water. It's precious, it's valued, and it's the only water that they would use in a ritual washing where you would make the unpure pure again. So everyone, especially this woman, knew that there was no such thing as living water, running water, or stream water in that area. 
So how could this stranger from a different land, this person, this Jew, come here and tell me where this water is? That, that can be right, but let me, let me find out. That's what this woman is thinking. And then Jesus tells her that this water, it eliminates thirst and it leads to eternal life. Living water is life nourished by God. In Jeremiah 2.13, it says that my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So it's just saying that God is the source of that living water, but we try to take care of water ourselves and we try to hold ourselves our own life, but we can't do it. It's broken. So what's her response? She wants this living water. But she, under, she doesn't understand like what he's talking about. What is this living water? What, what is it? She's still looking for a literal water. A water for her jar, a water for her body. Not of a heavenly living water for her soul. She still doesn't understand the gift or the giver from verse 10 that he was just talking about. So now Jesus talks to her about her life. He brought about the water... But let me ask you, let me divert this. Where's your husband? She says, I, I don't have a husband. And yeah, she's right. Because she's had five. And the one that she's with right now is not her husband. This uncovers a lot about her because she has three strikes now. Um, this is one thing that I, I learned that about this passage, and it was really cool. Um, well, really rememberable. I wouldn't say cool. So, this person that we're learning about, she's from Samaria. So, strike one. She's a Samaritan. This person is a woman. And in that time, it it was culturally inappropriate to be talking to her. So, that's strike two. And now, she's a sinner as revealed that she has had five husbands and the one she's with is not her husband okay so that's strike three so it makes more sense now that this woman is at the well at that time because she is not wanting to be around people because she is getting away from her culture and the people that look down on her she has a ruined reputation and she's broken the morals of the community so she is trying to stay in isolation she'll get what she needs away from the rest of the people and then get back to her life on her own. But rather than feeling the judgment that she's gotten from so many other people, when she hears those words from Jesus, she doesn't turn and um, run away, but she acknowledges his ability. Oh, I see that you are a prophet. And one thing to keep in mind is that the Samaritans who didn't believe in the other books of the Bible, 1st and 2nd Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, they only had the first books, and so they didn't really have the ideas of prophets like Amos or Isaiah. But one idea that they had in mind comes from Deuteronomy 18.18. It says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command. So this it points back to a messianic figure so when this woman acknowledges Jesus as a prophet 
it opens the door for Jesus as the Messiah. But although she acknowledges that he is a prophet, she makes a defense for herself. She tries to deflect any more questions about her. She tries to just steer the conversation a different way. Let's not talk about my husband. Let's not do that. Um, um, Well, I think that we worship in different areas. And so she continues on. Let me... It says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. And so she tries to make this distinction now. She pulls up a wall that you are from Jerusalem, I am from Samaria, and we can't worship together, and we are now working on this. Now we can't be talking with each other, and she just puts up a wall because she doesn't want the focus to be on her. Verse 21 and 23 talks about aura. And this aura in Greek is a word that's used with a theological significance because it relates to Jesus' death and resurrection. So this aura, this time, it's coming. It's here. Jesus' death and resurrection, it's coming. And this is where worship comes in, in the sacrifice. So Jesus is speaking about the dynamic and life-giving character of God as spirit. So he starts to counter what she's talking about. It's not about this temple. It's not about this mountain. It's not about Judea. It's not about Samaria. All of that is going to go away. It's not going to be about a place of worship. It's going to be about a person of worship. It's about a relationship of worship. So just as the life water is life-giving, Jesus tells this woman that true worshipers must be of God who are life-giving. Or who is life-giving. I want that in my life. I want to be full of that living water. I want to be no longer quenching that. There are always pieces of my life where are like full of holes and inadequate and I'm always thirsting and my body was doing a lot of that last week it was just fully dehydrated and I, I really was desperate of just trying to intake anything and that's how my soul feels sometimes and it's only quenched when I have Jesus in it it's only when I have him as my living water So then Jesus talks about the Messiah and he reveals to her that it is he. He is the, he is the Messiah. And he uses a phrase of ego a me. And it's saying I am. And it points back because that's the name that God gave himself when he was talking to Moses on Mount Sinai. He said, I am. So he described himself as divine identity. So now he is the giver and the gift um, of that living water. And so now, this is when 
this woman is now understanding, oh, he is the Messiah. He is this Christ that we've been talking about. Is this really it? Is this what we've been waiting for? What we've been looking for? And so she goes and immediately she drops her bucket and she runs into town to talk to people. And she's telling people about what has just happened right now. And the response is that she's just excited. She can't contain herself. She needs to tell people if this is really what's going on. And then the disciples walk into town back to Jesus and they see this interaction and they're wondering what's going on. But they don't question, why are you talking to her or anything like that, even though it is out of the custom. But she goes and she is reaching to these people. Come over. Let's hear about this Jesus. Find out for yourselves. And as that's happening, Jesus tells the disciples that he doesn't need food because they were wanting to take care of him. But his food is to do the will of him who sent him and to finish the work. And so he's talking about now really sowing and reaping the harvest. And he's laying a pattern for the next paragraph and section where now he's reaching these Samaritan people. Verse 39. And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things I have done. Wasn't this the woman who came at the uh, sixth hour at noon at the hottest time to avoid the rest of the people? But she's running now towards people to tell them of the things that she's done. That doesn't make sense. Why would that make sense? The only reason that would make sense is because he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one who is coming to save. He is the one coming to give. He is the one to breathe life in her when she has had none. John 4:42 it says we no longer believe just because of what you said now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world this is now what the rest of the samaritans who were approached by that woman are now claiming for themselves that they see that this person is the savior of the world so there's this universal mission it's no longer about judea it's no longer about judea, uh, samaria but it's to the whole world and you guys know John 3.16. But do you guys also know 3.17? It says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. So this woman who was thinking that she was going to get judged by this man who knew about her husband, her past husband, and now her current state of not being with a husband, she's not worried about being judged. She's worried or concerned and um, focused on being saved. And that is what we should be excited about. This is what we should be going out and talking to people about. Just this past week, we had Operation Barnabas here. And 
those are some really, really cool and sharp kids. And I learned something really neat. But I want you guys to try to interact with somebody from um, from there. So it was a really cool illustration where one of the youth was presenting a story of how they were able to share Jesus through a piece of paper. And if you guys know what I'm talking about, it's pretty cool. But if you don't, ask them about the paper and the cross. Because that's a way for you now to interact with them, to really get to know somebody else who's of faith, and also for them to be able to step out in faith and practice what they've learned, because that's what they've come here to do. I want you guys to be excited about Jesus. And I want you to act as if you have just won the lottery. That was one thing that I had learned from my mentor before was that if you had received a lottery, you wouldn't just live life regularly and not mention it. You'd be on Facebook. You'd be telling all your friends, calling, texting, telling the world, you have won the lottery. It's changed your life. It's taken care of you. Things are going to be so different now. Jesus is the lottery. Jesus is much better than anything that you could just win. And it wasn't by anything that you've done. It's by His love, His gift. He gave His life. So I want you to take normal conversations about water, about family, about cars, or anything that you have any sort of interest in. Or you know, you might just notice some, someone wearing a t-shirt on something and you can start a conversation about that. But take... Anything that's ordinary, that's natural, and turn it into something that's supernatural. Let Jesus really take hold of your life and your conversations. And that's what the gospel is about. And I know it can seem, seem daunting to carry on a conversation that might have the weight and gravity of someone's eternal life. You know, if you think about it that way, yeah, it might be a little scary. But we are all eternal creatures, if you realize it. But we are going to spend eternity one way or another. And it's not up to you to sway them. It's up to the Spirit to sway them and move in their hearts. But it is up to you to, to speak to them, to give them the opportunity to hear Jesus and to accept Him into their hearts. So this living water, this Spirit that we have come to know. I want to share with you just um, one last uh, set of like, encouraging verses. That It comes from Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Wow, that just took everything that we just learned about all that area and now just turned it into a universal mission. Isn't that funny? And now... Um, 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power, love, and self-control. So don't be timid. Let's, let's try it. Let's step out in our faith. And then 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So if you have not received Jesus yet 
in your life and you want to dedicate yourself to him now or if you want to rededicate yourself to him and start making moves, start taking these steps to really challenge yourselves, I want you to join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, I am in my own darkness. I need you as my light to guide me. I want your living water in my life. Deliver me from my sins that I have done against you. I believe in you and want to change my life to make it known that I am yours. Let my ways decrease so that yours may increase. Thank you for your love. Thank you for taking me as a sinner and still caring for me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.